0: Hello. This is the Sensitive Matters Podcast, a podcast bringing empaths, perceptive people, creatives, unique projects, and sensitive matters into the spotlight. Join us for meaningful conversations that inspire and have the power to gently create awareness around sensitive and important matters such as mental health, conscious consumerism, sexuality, spirituality, ethical business, and much more. I am Christina Zipperlin, founder of the ethical jewelry brand Ananda Soul. I'm a highly sensitive human who values community, creative and spiritual exploration, and ways to make a positive impact. I'm also a psychology student and mental health and LGBTQIA advocate. We're tuning in from the magical island of Bali where I've lived for over 12 years and is the home of my jewelry company that strengthens and gives back to the local community. Thank you for joining us for these conversations as we, together, explore sensitive matters. And now, enjoy the episode. Hello and thank you for joining us for Sensitive Matters. This podcast is brought to you and made possible by Ananda Soul Jewelry. I created Ananda Soul in Bali over 12 years ago to offer heartfelt, intentional jewelry that works with the community I grew to know and love on the island that has become my home. Ananda brings creativity respect for Balinese ritual, and a wish to give back to the local community to everything we do. To learn more about our story, ethics, and to receive $15 of your first order when you sign up for a newsletter, head over to anandasoul.com. Today's interview is one that's quite in-depth, and while we're on the topic of Ananda, before we jump in, Bex and I have known each other for many years, and she has been adorned with Ananda's pieces for a long time. So, Bex, would you be open to sharing what you're wearing today, and also what these pieces mean to you? Okay. So,
1: honestly, this is an absolute coincidence, because I just wear these all the time, (laughs) So firstly, I have a little Lakshmi, which she, for me, represents abundance, and it's not necessarily financial abundance. The story of Lakshmi is that she emerges from, after a long battle between the gods and the the demons, she emerges from the ocean carrying the elixir of eternal life. So for me, she represents that pure Shakti vitality, the pure feminine power. I also have these beautiful earrings and yeah I just I just love them and for me they feel right right now I'm I'm actually just getting my period today and I notice like what I put on me as sort of a form of of protection mm-hmm. and just like okay I'm in I know when I'm in my period, it's the time I'm most open. I'm most likely to absorb things from outside me. And for some reason, I just really mm-hmm, associate mm-hmm. these with with keeping, with guarding me, with keeping yeah. me
0: safe. It makes sense. They're called universal balance. And, um, and a lot of people immediately think it's the Christian cross, which actually you can interpret it that way. The cross is used in a lot of different traditions. Um, and what inspired me to design this is that, in every Balinese compound there is a, a cross marked on the outside. And it is to exactly what you're saying, disperse any negative to the four directions so that they don't enter the compound. And this was to create this design, it was a little bit controversial and I, I had moments of like, oh, can I launch this because of the, the heaviness that can exist around this symbol? And so I just love that that is what you're feeling because wow. that is the essence of it. And that was my intention, and just being like, I will be part of the reclaiming of certain symbols um, that have mixed understandings in this world. Wow, oh,
1: that's so wild, because I had no idea, but that was just like naturally how I how I perceive them. Mm-hmm. And I also have the sacred heart ring, which I just love. Mm-hmm. And I really I wear it on the so called wedding finger. And it's just that reminder for me just to really keep honoring and nourishing and loving myself Mm -hmm. first and foremost. Because if I can't do that, how can anyone else do that for me?
0: Mm. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) In continuation of our conversation around the moon, I am super excited to have one of my dearest friends. Bex Tyrer, with me on Sensitive Matters today. As we have launched our lunar collection that focuses on the power of the moon and all its phases, it is an honor to continue the moon recession, so to speak, from another angle, menstrual cycle awareness and alignment with the moon and its phases. Bex has dedicated her life's work to yoga and women's health and focuses on inclusivity, trauma work, and social and environmental justice. Bex has been a full-time yoga teacher at the Yoga Barn, the largest yoga studio in Asia, since 2009. I've personally completed Bex's courses on female body literacy and body identities, image, and yoga on her platform, Freedom Through Movement, that share valuable insights on the history and wisdom of the menstrual cycle and our relationship to our bodies. Bex. Thank you for joining us on Sensitive Matters. I feel it's been a long time coming. I'm really excited to kind of take some of our geek out conversations that we have when we meet up um, and share them with the world. So thank you for being here with us. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. And what I'd love to do is to just guide us through a short meditation. Anyone who's listening is more than welcome to follow along and drop in, and it just helps us to kind of land here. So if you feel comfortable and it feels safe to do so, you're welcome to close your eyes. And just drop in for a moment. Noticing what is here, noticing what this body is saying right now. And with the next breath, gently bringing the awareness to the seat, to the lower abdomen, you're somebody who carries a womb, you might want to settle the attention there. And feeling the weight of your body settling down maybe just a tiny bit more. Feeling the surface underneath you supporting you and holding you and scanning the body if there's any area right now that feels okay. Maybe it even feels comfortable or safe. Maybe it's today just a neutral space, but somewhere where it feels okay to settle. And just allowing to settle into that particular area a little bit more. Maybe evoking the quality of trust. Knowing that this is a place you can come back to. and Bringing in the energy of trust that whatever is here right now is meant to be here. Whatever is coming through in this conversation we're about to have is meant to come through. And taking another deep breath in and exhale. And whenever you feel ready to open your eyes. You're welcome to join me in this space. <laughs> hmm. So um, we've known each other for maybe a decade or so. Um, and there are people out there who are meeting you for the first time today. So I was wondering if You're open to sharing a little bit your why of what got you to dive and dedicate your life to yoga, to the body, to our inherent relationship with self, with the world, with spirit, the whole thing. Like, what's the what's the calling underneath? That's such a great question. And I think
1: it's never been a choice. It's just been how life has unfolded for me Mm -hmm. but I've always been in love with movement Mm -hmm. so movement has always been like my ally and it's what's you know gives me kind of a not a purpose but helps me feel or remember Mm -hmm. the power of life that moves through me so Mm -hmm. I get so much joy and release um, from moving At the same time, I've always been asking big life questions since I was a little girl. I remember lying down in the garden, looking up at the sky, just trying to figure out how we're wandering through space, how we're flying through space. So I've always been curious about philosophy. I've always been curious about psychology. So I've traveled extensively. I've been exploring different cultures, exploring different ways of living. And somehow, like I said, without it being a choice, a conscious decision i've just ended up here in bali teaching yoga for the last 13 years (laughs) (laughs) Mm,
0: yeah i can i can relate to that just life taking us when especially when we lean in especially in the in the recent years you've been leaning more into into the field of female body awareness and there's there's kind of two questions there. Like one is if you're open to sharing a little bit your own journey with your own female body. <laughs> and along that journey, like are, were there any kind of bigger aha moments?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I feel like
0: it's been such a journey. It still
1: is such a journey. And I started practicing yoga 20 years ago. And I did so just because I wanted to do exercise and stay fit, right? There was nothing spiritual about it. There wasn't really even a deeper understanding of the real vitality of my body. Mm -hmm. And at that time, I was studying for my master's degree at Oxford University in the UK, and it was a really heavy, heavy workload. Um, Before I knew it, I was deep into an eating disorder disorder. So, I actually, really detached from my body. And that was something that lasted a decade. So, my entire 20s, I was struggling quietly with anorexia and bulimia, and at the same time, having a regular yoga practice. So, there was a clear contradiction there, right? If, and that's a big if, like if yoga is really for the health of our body and our mind, then why was I still struggling so much with eating disorders? And so the aha moment for me was actually understanding my mental cycle. And it was understanding that there is a cyclical rhythm to the times that life just felt too hard and that I couldn't do it. And therefore, I would want to restrict eating. Yeah. And also being held by something bigger. And I, in theory, that's what yoga does. And I just said before, like even with movement, it helped me to feel more alive. But the cycle has, a rhythm literally in accordance with the cosmos. Mm -hmm. And so the feeling of separation, which I personally feel is the root cause of our addictions, just feeling so separate from everything that we're able to hurt ourselves without, you know, even if we don't want to. So being able to lean into the cycle was Mm -hmm. such a healing balm for me. Mm -hmm. And then understanding my own rhythm And wanting to heal my body, like really wanting to heal my cycle, Mm -hmm. just meant that without even realizing what a massive shift it was for me, I just started respecting myself Mm -hmm. in a way that I don't think I really ever had. Mm -hmm. And there was another aha moment, which was realizing that it's not just me, right? I'm teaching literally over the years, tens of thousands of women Mm -hmm. and seeing so many women show up searching for something and that could be you know from the physical level just wanting to get in shape but for many it really is wanting to find peace it's wanting to end suffering and yet they're not necessarily finding that on the yoga mat Mm -hmm. right so they're going through these practices they're committing to um, these teachings but things weren't necessarily changing Mm -hmm. And that was like, wow, yeah, yoga doesn't address the menstrual cycle. Mm -hmm. And so wanting to bring that in Mm -hmm. and realizing what a powerful and necessary tool for health, healing, and empowerment
0: that that is. Mm. Thank you. There's so much there. And um, you and I share that history of eating disorders and of using that particular solution as a tool when it gets too hard. And we both also share the the yoga piece. And it's just, as you're speaking, I'm curious um, if you found an answer to the, I know you you mentioned one is to really live in accordance to the cycles and we're going to dive in depth into that. And the other piece is, I know you have so much wisdom around the history of yoga. And I'm just curious if, there's anything that you adapted around your yoga practice around your take on yoga around how you teach yoga that actually incorporates it because i know for myself when i started yoga i was very much still using it for the manipulation of the body um you know they're like oh yoga is not competitive but yes i would totally see who who can do the Hansen and the form and all that, and and we both actually used to go to a very, very, very hardcore power yoga class. And um, so I'm just curious what your what your yoga journey has been in accordance to that, and if maybe also if you've seen because as you mentioned you've taught tens of thousands of women, mm-hmm. and I have to say, having been in the yoga world myself for such a long time it does not seem to contradict each other to have eating disorders and a quite unhealthy body image and to be yo- doing yoga almost on a daily basis? Mm-hmm. Oh, it, such a great question once again. So,
1: yes, I was so fascinated with how in the yoga world we can have so much body dysmorphia or just just lack of connection with the body. Mm-hmm. So, I started to really research history of yoga in a way that I hadn't done prior. So I went back to university, I went to the School of African and Oriental Studies in, um, in London University, and I did their summer school on yoga history and philosophy, as well as taking a ton of, of other online courses, really looking at the academia of you know what the trajectory of yoga. And sure enough, it's It's so, you know, it's so obvious that yoga was a practice designed by men for men, and it wasn't for necessarily the health and vitality of their body. Yeah, for sure. With Hatha Yoga, they're recognizing the power within the body. But ultimately, the aim is either Siddhis, it's either the special powers and or ascension liberation. Mm -hmm. So it's getting up and out of the body. So I always use the analogy: if you're trying to grow an apple tree, you don't plant a lemon seed, right? So, so seeing, okay, if I'm trying to help women with the, with full vitality, health, body acceptance, and so on, then. Something has to shift. Mm-hmm. And years ago, I felt, no, I can't possibly do that because I was such a yoga purist. I felt such a respect for the yoga mm-hmm. tradition, and I still do. But that's when I realized there's not one yoga tradition, but there's so many traditions. And everything is always changing. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was a case of the more I understand about where yogas come from and its history, then it felt like I could then move forward with it in a way That felt more of service to the contemporary woman. Now, on top of that, you've got the template of the wellness industry, which, like you said, seems to be fueling this competition or this comparison. And also, it can mask a lot of eating disorders. So, if women are addicted, or (laughs) maybe addicted is a strong word, but maybe not, if they're doing a really strong daily practice, and that's okay because everyone else is, if they're doing a lot of fasting and cleansing, and that's okay because that's part of the wellness world, then it can be hiding a lot of underlying issues. Mm-hmm. So I also needed to address that, and that was when bringing in more of the cycle awareness stuff mm-hmm.
0: was really, really helpful. Mm, I get many chills, <laughs> so I'm like, yes, we're we're on point. Let's dive into the theme of of you and i know that's a it's a label and and we're both not the biggest fans of, of labels but um i do like the the word um menstrual cycle activist <laughs> it does make me happy and I'm, I'm curious like what's the philosophy behind that for you what's um yeah how does that look because we just spoke about like where it comes from right but ha- how how are you bringing that into the world i believe that The menstrual
1: cycle is a woman's, it's her fifth vital sign for health. It's also her way of getting to know herself on such a deep level. And from working with women from all around the world, there's a common theme. And that is one of shame about the cycle. That is one of a lack of education, like literally not knowing anything about their cycle other than they bleed once a month. Uh, for some women, when they got their first period, they didn't even know what it was. Right? They thought they were ill, and so I see this correlation between women's self-esteem, women's regard for the wonders of their own body, and like I said before, that connection that our cycle gives us with a bigger cycle, mm-hmm. with like being connected as like with the rhythm of the cosmos, mm-hmm. also connected to really our sexuality, how we how we allow ourselves to, to really celebrate that as opposed to the shame and the stigma and the taboo that can go along with, with women's sexuality. And so, and I've also seen how it's been transported around the world. Now, this is my, my belief is that anything of power has been, is a threat to the powers that be. Mm-hmm. And the menstrual cycle, as will, you know, probably will unfold in this, this podcast, we can see that it was a time that women would gather together during their bleed. Right? It was the time that they would have greatest intuition, greatest insight. And it was the time that really they were sort of having an expanded state of an awareness. So in order to dismantle that, what do you do? You shame that. Mm-hmm. And you make people scared of that. And I feel that's why we've got so many myths, really unhealthy myths about period blood, about a woman who's on her cycle. And that's something that I feel has been exported around the world with imperialism and with colonization. So I've had women on my courses from Iran, from Palestine, from Colombia, from Brazil, from all over Europe, from all over Asia. And it's the same themes coming up. This oh, I didn't know. I'm only now learning about my menstrual cycle and I'm about to go through perimenopause or I'm only now interested in my cycle because I want to have children as if the only function of the cycle is to have a child as opposed to birth yourself and birth your community month after month so even I hear my voice change because I do get so passionate about it and of course for many of us, and, and I know it, this is also really based on socioeconomic and, and cultural backgrounds, but I see a lot of specifically white women who feel or just put all this trust in the medical system that, oh, it's there for me and it knows what's best for me. But it, it doesn't. Like, there's, there's so little education really about female hormones and women's health that now is the time that we actually really need to start empowering ourselves. And not just putting out um, that power to someone else outside of ourselves. Does that make sense?
0: Oh my god, yes! I have <laughs> chills everywhere, and um, yeah, we've we've dropped in personally before, and I I shared a little bit about my my own journey. Like when I had my period for the first time, it was horrible, like one of the worst days of my life back then. And um, even though my mo- mother had tried to inform me, and I I I had picked up on it being something gross, something that I did not want. And she herself hadn't been educated at all. Like she was one of those women that was like, oh my God, I'm dying. Mm -hmm. And so she tried to prevent that for me, but there was clearly something already planted in me from wherever I had picked it up that she could not undo even by trying to sit me down. I was like, I do not want this to happen. And then the piece that you're saying, and I can imagine a lot of women Relate. Um, I had acne, and I was put on birth control, right? And so, so the whole piece about just handing, handing my body over in a way of without having any understanding because of that full trust mm-hmm. deeply resonates. And um, and I am one of those women that really picked up on the, the honoring of my cycles rather late in my life, like in my mid thirties, really early, mid thirties. And so, um, I'm just <laughs> such a cheerleader of this work because I do feel it's just so incredibly important. And, um, I want to come back to the contraception conversation in a little bit, but I first want to explore more the, the understanding of the interconnectedness with the entire cosmos, right? Like, we just um, recently launched our moon collection. And so my own passion is so much around honoring the phases, honoring the what is larger than us. What are all the influences that we can lean back into and trust? Because especially in these times right now, it's a little bit challenging to know which other human we can trust, which other information source we can trust. And so I'm finding myself just reaching a bit, more to older traditions and to, to nature, really. And so I'd love to hear your explorations, your findings around this, this cosmos piece um, and the connection to the moon and really the whole galaxy at large. <laughs>
1: oh, I just, again, love it, right? Just if we can literally just lift our eyes up to the sky and realize where we are and that we're part of something so magnificent mm-hmm. so huge and that we hold its rhythms within our own bodies mm-hmm. so we refer to our menstrual cycle as our moon cycle it's right there sure enough moon you know the lunar cycle is 29 days average cycle of our menstrual cycle is 29 days and i've done a ton of research on this And I have to say it's so tricky because you just mentioned, you know, you want to go back to find answers. Well, it's hard to go back in a way when our lifestyle is so radically different Mm -hmm. from the women who came before us, even just in the last hundred years. So with the advent of what you just mentioned, hormonal contraceptives, but even artificial lights and just being so out of touch with other cycles of our life. So, for example, with the sleep cycle. Back in the day, you know, especially um, if you live in a, well, yeah, it depends where you live, but you would still hibernate in winter. But the sun would set and it was time to wind down and go to sleep. The sun would rise and it was time to wake up. And now we don't tend to do that, especially in cities, right? There's just lights on all night. So we've turned the, we're even, we're even suppressing the cycle of sleep. And I often give the example of caffeine. Like what would the world be like without caffeine? I mean, it might be the end of capitalism, like for real, mm-hmm. right? So research shows, though, that the moon has, has several different sort of um, pulls on us. And these are affected by several things, its position, its tilt in the sky, but also just the weight, the gravitational pull that it has on on tides. And also the luminosity effect. So just the, the brightness of the moon. And this is the light of the moon is what's said to have the most effect on the female body in terms of our cycle. So it's most likely that back in the day when we lived without artificial lights, the light of the full moon would trigger our ovulation. And then after ovulation, it's roughly 12 to 14 days of the luteal phase, of the breaking down of that empty egg sac that releases the progesterone. And then as the progesterone then begins to break down, if the egg isn't fertilized, then you'll get your period. So that would mean 12 to 14 days after full moon would be new moon, right? So women would then... Ovulate on the full moon and bleed on the new moon we now we don't do that necessarily, and also if you're listening and you think, "Oh no, but I ovulate on the new moon and I bleed on the on the full moon, something's wrong no it's not we're just living in a different way, so also please take that pressure off yourself to feel that you now have to sync with the moon because again there's this focus on being um really perfectionist in everything even when we bleed so you know just wipe that off the table for sure I also feel that there's other perhaps effects on our on our bodies that we're not you know we're not really sure about because our lifestyle has changed so much and also because it can be so subtle so for example knowing that we are made up of 75 percent of water And we can see it with our own eyes that when there's a full moon, the tides will be much greater. And there is a theory that suggests that this same effect happens within the cells of our bodies. So the water within our cells is pulled to a different part of the cell and how this will then have an emotional effect on
0: us. Mm. Mm. I love talking about this. (laughs) (laughs) It's fascinating that you're speaking about you know the cells and the water and the body, because that will be something that applies to every single mammal right or like absolutely being yeah, and so how how are men affected? Well, let me just start with mammals, right because mm-hmm. I think living
1: in here in Bali, we have a ton of street dogs on the mm-hmm. on the road. And it's so obvious when I'm driving my scooter back on a full moon, I've just got my wits about me because the dogs will tend to chase me, and they're much more vocal they'll be barking up and down the street you know, and I'm not making this up. this is just something that that happens I know. Right? it's just it's just really, really obvious also back in fourth century b c Aristotle also made the connection between the moon and changes in our mood in latin actually the word uh, lunatic or lunacy it means moon struck Mm. so there's more accidents there's more fights at a full moon there is more um, actually suicides at full moon too and so there seems to be this sort of um, this rise in energy that happens That can be a lot, perhaps, for people who are particularly sensitive to it. Who knows, right? And the same thing with the new moon. The new moon tends to be a time to go in. It's a time for reflection. It can also be a time that people can feel quite low of energy, quite tired or, or even depressed. And so I say that really, really does affect men. And I know that from just speaking to the men in my life, right? And again, research shows that the positioning of the moon, solar flares, all sorts of other crazy stuff that goes on in space that we have really no idea on is also affecting the magnetic electrofield in the Earth. So we are, you know, our brain is made up of electrical neurons. And Therefore, it also just makes logical sense that, sure, if there's a lot more kind of activity going on, that that will be affecting our brain waves. Going back to current research on this, it's saying that perhaps in the full moon, the alpha wave states actually decrease. So it means our ability to relax decreases. So maybe that's why it's harder to fall asleep, for mm-hmm. example. So people who are already having challenges, that
0: could be magnified. Mm-hmm yeah it's just what I'm sitting with is just that piece of we are nature right there's really no no separation. Mm. I want to come back to to the question around men, male bodies and how how they are affected, and maybe also how we could I have a dear dear friend who asked me at one point it's like how how can I be more in touch with mm-hmm. with my emotions with like the more subtle components and and I mentioned your name and and spoke about the the cycle of the moon and also you know like the how they might be able to honor the menstrual cycle and a a different understanding kind of on that journey of all of us together undoing maybe any of the shaming that has occurred because that all is teamwork right it's just us realizing those certain areas or themes where as humans, we might have gone in an in, in an interesting direction. And maybe how can we together yeah. steer into a chosen one?
1: Yeah, it's so cool. I'm getting more and more men approach me and ask me about this. So I think there's many, uh, many parts to this question. And one is like for men themselves, just to notice how the moon affects them, like literally the external moon. Mm-hmm. Now, how do they feel on the full moon? And maybe how can they take more rest on the new moon, for example? How can they, if there's full moon and there's a lot of fire coming up, and, and by that I mean a lot of perhaps maybe angry emotions or volatile emotions, can they be aware, oh, look, that's the full moon. Yeah. Maybe, you know, it's what can I do then to, to calm down and, and to slow down, for example? Also, I feel men just understanding like our hormones and understanding what's going on with our menstrual cycle can also help to get rid of the stigma and the shame. So stigma, shame, fear, all of that can come from a lot of lack of understanding. So back in the day, you know, our cycle was used against us as women. It said, look, you're far too volatile, right? Your emotions are up and down. Your moods are up and down. How could you possibly lead armies or lead countries? That's what we need men for. But when we stop and look at it, we can see there's such a rhythm to it that's so predictable. And I think for men, that's just fascinating. They're Like, oh, wow, there's the rhythm, right? Because men, from my experience, they love to identify patterns. They love to see that rhythm. And just, you know, on a side note, we can also kind of compare female hormones to male hormones and see that the rhythm of predictability is so... Um, It's much easier in a woman than it is in a man. For example, testosterone is really volatile. It's affected by seeing weapons, by seeing um, naked bodies, you know, that sort of thing. It It can really change very, very quickly. So educating men, I think, is a really, really big step. Now, how to get men onto a course for menstrual cycle awareness, right? (laughs) That is the challenge. And I do actually run my own online courses. I get a few brave men who come. But I would say it's really like women just to speak to the men in your life about it. And so many times they've got so many questions and they really are fascinated. And men are affected by the women they're in relationship with. Whether that is an intimate relationship, whether that's a work relationship, whether that's their mothers or their daughters, right? They really are affected by this. So I feel they can start to realize that there's so much more benefit for them because for many men that I know personally, even yoga teachers, it's a bit of a a default just to make a joke about a woman's cycle as opposed to really be like, Wow, this is the whole rhythm of the cosmos right here, right? The expansion and contraction, the life and the death, the birth and creation is, is all in, in her body. And there's something that can be so like awe inspiring about that. So realizing that he can be, um, he can also, it can also benefit him. So I often like to think of it like I can take the men in my life on the journey with me. So for example, uh, if I've got like an intimate partner and my libido is going to be rising and my sense of adventure is going to be rising, then let's go on an adventure and let's go plan that for ovulation and really like make the most of that. But also let's then slow down and go in and it's not going to be a good time to ask me to do extra things in my pre menstruum It's not going to be the best time for me to go necessarily on an adventure that's going to be demanding a lot for me. Also, my libido is going to shift. So, and I also feel it can be so beneficial for men because men have also suffered so much from the patriarchal system and from the repression of cycles. So this tendency that we have as a globalized culture just to always be productive and always be working. And I feel so grateful for women who you know, are able to have their natural cycle because they have an inbuilt kind of break on. There's an inbuilt oh now I've you know I'm in my premenstruum energy levels are getting lower I'm about to bleed it's time to nest whereas men don't have that mm-hmm. so it can be and we can see it right men can just burn out or they're mm-hmm. you know having having challenges with that with the heart like uh, much more common in men than in women mm-hmm. and so I feel it can be that okay now it's time to slow mm-hmm. down and we don't always have mm-hmm. to be. full steam ahead yeah
0: to collectively give that permission of yeah that the lunatic that lunatic energy really stuck with me of like how that's like one part of the month right but something happened in most our societies where it's just all day, every day mm-hmm. is kind of that energy. Mm-hmm. And then there's the caffeine and the expectations yeah. and the yeah. what everybody else is doing. Yeah. And um, yeah, to collectively almost use these cycles, whether it is through the moon, whether it is through the female body's menstruation, to just be like, okay, let's use these as reminders that sometimes it's a very, very good idea to go inward, to slow down, to... Cancel the appointments to not even put them in the schedule. Eventually, and just honor. So needed, so
1: needed. Yeah, and that's why I feel it can also be such a gift uh, for for parents because then they can they can work with this together. Mm -hmm. Okay, like she's you know maybe she needs more rest now, so he is able to pick up more of the the workload or the parenting load. Mm -hmm. But then that can shift when she's got more energy, and then he can take rest. So it's it's not necessarily that he has to do more, right? Mm-hmm. Because she's slowing down or has mm-hmm. her lead. It can be also be like, no, like it's it's
0: yeah, teamwork. It balances itself. Absolutely, out. yeah. I'd love to dive deeper on those things of how to really work with the, with the different phases. And um, I know in your teachings there's a concept of the inner seasons that you speak about. And yeah, I'd just love to hear more about that again. Yeah, so this is, uh, you know, the four inner seasons that we
1: have. It's reflective of the four seasons that we have in the northern and southern hemispheres. For those of you who live in the tropics, then you can think about it just like in the morning. Um uh, then you've got the the midday is the peak and then you have the afternoon and then you have the evening but generally it's this this idea that we we go from a still point at the bottom or you could say winter right and just imagine that it's cold it's dark it's internal and then the opposite end of the circle or the cycle is the midday sun or the peak of summer and then it comes back down again right so we have this this First part of the cycle that's going from winter to summer, and then from summer, it goes back down into winter. And it's such a beautiful way to see the menstrual cycle. And it does, it really, uh, I think it helps a lot of women to understand the shifts and changes of energy, that there's not something wrong with them, that they don't always have to be full power all of the time because they're simply not designed to. So for example, starting with in a winter, which would be your bleed time, it would be your, and uh, if you're on the contraceptive pill or hormonal contraceptives, you don't have an actual winter. So that's just important to say. Um, it's also important to say that for w- women who no longer have the physical organ of the womb, they can still observe the new moon as the winter. Okay, so you can, and same with women who've gone through menopause as well. So you can still like harness the power of the cycle, either with your own inner moon or the external moon. But the winter time is the time to rest. And the way I think of it, it's like charging up the battery. It's like plugging in the battery and saying, you know what, we're just going to stay here, we're going to be still, and we're going to stoke the fire for the rest of the month. And to do that, we really need to take as much rest as possible. Now, it's also a time of It can be a time of great insight. So it's a physical release, right? We're letting go of the endometrium, of the lining of the womb that we've been building for the last month. We're releasing it. And with that can be a release of emotions that's important we don't want to just hold it in until we explode like a volcano right it's like a type of titration an inbuilt type of titration where we can just release the stress or whatever's been going on in our month that month and after we do so can come this new fresh perspective insight clarity, direction, ideas, ways that you can then use this precious vitality that you've been like accumulating for the rest of the month. And so as we come out of our inner winter, we come into the inner spring and you can visualize spring and how it's the delicate tender flowers that are coming out into the fresh crisp air. And that's exactly how I see it for for women. It's okay, I'm slowly going to come back out into the world. It's not just that, okay, my period's finished, right, I'm back, full steam ahead. No, you'll have been gifted some ideas, some visions, some creative projects that you keep close to your heart. And if we're always busy fulfilling other people's creative projects or ideas or just working for them without tending our own, our own dreams, then at some point we are going to get frustrated or maybe depressed, or maybe just ill. So it's important that we we realize, okay, this is valuable, and I want to nurture this just like I'll nurture those new flowers coming out in the spring. Mm -hmm. It's also a time that we can be more playful, more adventurous, just more curious. And for me, I, I just love to think of how, you know, just before my period can feel impossible. Like, it just feels like I I don't know how I can go through another day. And then before I know it, I'm in spring and there's a whole world of possibility, infinite possibility. And I'm floating around in the ocean of change and I'm really happy with that. So remembering that, I feel, can be such a a lifeline Mm -hmm. for many women. And then we come up into what's physically happening, which is ovulation, which is the, the inner summer. This is the phase that tends to be most popular because it's the phase that our globalized culture appreciates the most. If the woman has arrived in the summer well rested and you know she's able, like she doesn't have anything else major going on in her, her life, then most likely she's going to be more sociable. Her verbal skills will be increased, her organizational skills, her ability to multitask, Um, just much more outgoing. Now, of course, if you're an introvert, it doesn't mean that you're naturally going to become like an extrovert, right? It's not that, but just generally like a natural energy of saying yes to things, like generally wanting to participate fully in life. And often what can happen is a sort of magnetism, a sort of like pulling towards you of of things that uh, this momentum, a momentum. And then, of course, after ovulation, after the egg is released, and the egg is just released for one day, right? That's it, just one day. But the energy of the inner summer can be three, four, five days. And then we can go down into the inner autumn. And inner autumn is perhaps the one phase of the the cycle that's been given the hardest reputation, like the, the hardest time. And yet we know it is a necessary time if we just look out into the other seasons, right? If we don't have an inner autumn, then the world will literally burn out. So we need to let things die off that are no longer useful so that they can be reborn. And if you arrive here exhausted, if you arrive here stressed, if you've had, you know, other, maybe things that you couldn't, you know, you couldn't control, out of your control happen in the month, um, then yeah, it can be really tough, right? And yet there's ways that we can support ourselves through those difficult times. And yet we can also start to realize that can be a really powerful time to get rid of things which aren't in alignment in our life, So if we're in a relationship or we're doing a work project or we're just putting our our time and energy into something that we don't fully believe in, then what tends to happen is we get frustrated. And the rest of the month, we seem to be able to just override that. But in in inner autumn, no. It's the time of the truth speaker. Mm-hmm. Like I often have it. Like I'm. Sometimes I'm not even aware of it. I just sit down with someone and it just comes out. And I'm like, oh wow, I I didn't even plan on saying that. It's just it just wants to be spoken. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, we you know this is an energy. This is a, a gift to be used wisely, right? To use provocation wisely to serve all life forms. And if we're feeling really stressed, really overheated then that's when it can become damaging so it's it's a skill to hone to realize what is valuable to share and what isn't Mm -hmm. the other thing i'm spending a lot of time on this because it just feels this is the phase really yeah women (laughs) have the hardest time with right but it's because there's a tendency for for what's known as the inner critic
0: to come Mm -hmm. up
1: and Well, for some women, it's the inner critic, and for others, it's an external judge. Mm-hmm. But either way, just to be aware of this voice is really, really important. And so the inner critic can feel completely debilitating. It's like that voice that just tells you you're never going to be good enough. And we can realize if we're sensitive that, OK, I'm just taking this extra to heart today because I'm in my inner autumn, mm-hmm. And actually, it doesn't need to be such a big deal. Mm -hmm. And maybe that can help to relieve or release some of the the pressure that can be building up. If you have that tendency to be the external judge, also to realize that, okay, I'm in this season, this phase that wants to judge everything. And maybe I can quieten it down a little bit. Mm -hmm. So how can you also be in, I like to say, right relationship with that With that critic Mm -hmm. the other thing that happens in autumn it's it's clearing out not just things that might be out of alignment in your relationships but also really yeah like with yourself Mm -hmm. you know your own integrity and for Mm -hmm. many of us we're so busy following external values which really aren't valuable to us that it can feel so difficult in, in awesome because it's like this this conflict between, oh, but I don't actually feel like that and I should feel like that, mm-hmm. or I don't agree with that and I should feel like and I should agree with that, mm-hmm. instead of realizing, oh, look, the, that these feelings are showing me that this really isn't valuable. And maybe I just need to own it rather than try and fit in. Mm-hmm. So in a way, it can really help to shape us and to be the women that we were to be
0: I love that discernment of um you know there being that side of oh I'm in I'm in my inner autumn and don't take it so seriously like I'm speaking as my own internal language of like don't take it so seriously this is the phase I'm in and at the same time being like really taking it seriously, really listening to it, because it might be the ultimate truth that I've been able to push away the entire rest of the month and just pretend that I'm fine. And then suddenly I don't feel fine (laughs) with it. And to be like, maybe it's because it's not fine. (laughs) This is not meant to, I'm not meant to be doing this, or I'm not like to actually like to discern. And I, I can just see how important it is to go inward because it can be both, right? It can Absolutely. be way over the top and actually being like, okay, darling, mm-hmm. let's not take this mm-hmm. by word. Mm-hmm. But some of the pieces we do, so.
1: Yeah, could I just add something to mm-hmm. that? I feel it takes, it's like, it's like learning a new skill. Mm-hmm. And if we're just, you know, even the way you say fine, you know, it's just such a <laughs> nondescript word that clearly it's not fine, right? But if we keep trying to be fine with it, then next month it's going to come up again Mm -hmm. and the next month it will come up again so we'll find ourselves stuck in the cycle Mm -hmm. it's it's not like for me i see it actually more like a spiral Mm -hmm. and that's actually what you know we go through space we don't Mm -hmm. just stay in the same place we're spiraling through space Mm -hmm. with the moon right and the sun and so recognizing that each month we, we get an opportunity to refine, to shift and change. And if we don't, we're back in the cycle. We're mm-hmm. back in the loop. So I often say, you know, bleed on it and give it a month and see if you still feel the same. If it's a big decision, maybe three months. Yeah. And many of us were used to, no, you have to know now. You need to be decisive. You need to make a decision in the moment. But no, nature takes her time. And the feminine really takes her time. Mm-hmm. So we can't push her and we can't force her. So to, I would say that can be really helpful just to really observe how do you then feel next month. And if it's the same issues coming up, then something has to change to break the loop. Mm, that's so helpful. Bleeding on it and noticing the loops. Mm. Yeah. And also for the men in your life, uh, because... The men that come on my courses, they say, Yeah, but that's her crazy time. Mm. And everything she says then, she's just going into story or overreacting. Or, and I said, Well, is there just 1% of truth of what she's saying? Just 1%. And then usually there's a bit of a pause and a <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so that's what she wants to hear that you are hearing mm-hmm. her, mm-hmm. not just that you're d- dismissing all of it yeah. because it's her like PMS.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm. So important. You mentioned the, the question, um, there being something wrong with me, which I feel, well, it's a very familiar question <clears throat> for myself that I've definitely explored. And I'd love to kind of raise the question of what is a normal period? Because it seems like it's something that is common sense. And as it turns out in our conversations, It's actually not. Oh, this is something that I'm asked every day
1: by women who come to class. And then, you know, they're waiting after class. And I think they're going to ask me about the class or about the sequence or something. But no, it's usually something to do with, is it normal to have such painful periods? Is it normal to have such heavy periods? Is it normal to have such irregular periods? So let's simplify a little bit here and say a regular or normal period, a healthy period, is um, a cycle that lasts between 24 and 35 days. Now, if you are going through your first or second puberty, so either if you're in, um, you've just got your period for the first five to seven years or second puberty, so perimenopause, which can last for 10 years, then that healthy or normal variant between 24 and 35 days will be changing. But roughly, that is what a healthy length of a cycle is. Now, a variation of between seven to eight days each month is okay. And some women, they will bleed the same hour, the same 28 days, month after month, and they tend to be women of a specific constitution. So an Ayurveda would say that's Pitta. Now, other women of a different constitution, like you and me, like Vata, <laughs> will be more likely to change. And yes, there's things that we can do. We can bring more stability routine into our life. But a variation of, like I said, seven to eight days. So for example, uh, one month I could have a 26-day Cycle and then the next month I could have a thirty-three day and that's that's healthy that's okay. It's when it starts to go outside of that range. So, for example, if you have a if um, you know you're going from thirty days to forty days or thirty days to fifty days, then that's a warning sign. That's a red flag to say something's up. Ovulation occurs between anywhere between days sort of um, ten to to twenty-three and. That that's healthy. So that's also important for women who have a longer cycle to realize. And on average, you could say it's day 15 is the day of ovulation. Now, like I mentioned before, ovulation is just a one day occurrence. And this is another myth that many women don't know. And I And I know just to take a little bit of a detour here, so many of us were so terrified of getting pregnant when we were younger that we just thought we could conceive any single day of our cycle as if we were always pregnant, which then made it easy to to justify going on hormonal contraceptives. But no, it's really just one day that the egg is released, and that egg survives for 24 hours. And then just to... Uh, why then we we give a gap of say five days, which is because sperm can survive for five days inside of us, right so you're really fertile for around five maximum six days, mm-hmm. and there's variations that happen in your cycle will primarily happen in the first phase, so it will mean that If you're stressed, if you're lacking nutrients, if you've been sick, if you've been on medication, if you've been on antibiotics, then your body might say, hey, you know what, this is not a good time to ovulate. So we're going to delay ovulation. So it's more likely that variation in the length of your cycle is because you haven't ovulated or because your body's decided to delay ovulation. And this is another, I, I see this a lot with our friends. It's like, oh, I've been really stressed the last few days, so my period isn't coming. Like, no, no, look back to when you were ovulate, ovulating and see what was happening then. Because that tends to be the time that changes or determines the length of our cycle. Because after we ovulate, the like I mentioned before, the egg sac will start to degrade. And that takes 12 to 14 days. Mm -hmm. so maybe in some women that could be 15 16 days but it's not really going to be longer than that so that means the second phase of the cycle so the, the what's known as the luteal phase will be roughly 12 to 14 days and then you'll get your period
0: so what happens if somebody as the example that you just gave if somebody is really stressed in those days before the bleed does that still affect um You said that it comes regardless because there is that window of the 12 to maximum 16 days. Does it then come lighter, stronger, differently? Yeah. Yeah.
1: So firstly, they might not have ovulated if there was a lot of stress. Mm -hmm. They might have just skipped ovulation. Mm -hmm. So then it's not going to be 12 to 14 days Mm -hmm. because there's no egg that we've released but at some point the body will just keep thickening the endometrium and it will just have to fall away mm-hmm. and so that could that's when you stop you know when you realize that you're having a 50 day cycle or a 60 day cycle then you probably haven't ovulated and then your body will just you know okay it's just going to fall out it's like a withdrawal bleed mm-hmm. now if you have ovulated and you've been stressed then absolutely you will I will say absolutely and most likely you will notice that in your pre-menstruum mm-hmm. so this tends to be the phase that women whether it's mental stress emotional stress physical stress medical stress any of these stresses it tends to really be magnified in the pre-menstruum mm-hmm. and that can show up as rage as anger as depression and inability to make decisions mm-hmm. it can just um, the, the so-called five chambers of menstruation, which I haven't mentioned, but wild power authors uh, Shani Hugo Wallett and Alexandra Pope speak a lot about these. The first chamber of menstruation, which happens just before you bleed, is separation and just wanting to be away from everyone. And so often this can really be magnified if you've had a really stressful time. And yet, you know, the men, the men of my courses, really, they've been such great teachers. And they're like, well, no, she wants her space, but she wants to know I'm there. You know, and that's kind of, it's like, yes, that's precisely it. You know, you're like, get away from me, but tell me you still love me, you know? And so, yeah, for sure, it's, it's, it can be a challenging time. And then what can also happen during the bleed time is just feeling really depleted. Mm-hmm. So it's, and I mean, we're friends, so you know this about me, but I've had in the last, you know, the last years, I've often fainted mm-hmm. during my period or just before my bleed because I'm that depleted. Mm-hmm. It's why I'm doing this work, because I clearly need to learn it, mm-hmm. right? And so you can just, it, and that's a very extreme example of just how run down I've been so, realizing that your immune system is lower, you could also, you know, open yourself up to just keep getting sick, just not being as strong, not being as mm-hmm. vital. Um, the blood itself, the bleed can be heavier. It can also be thicker or darker. Uh, a healthy amount of blood is between thirty and eighty milliliters. Now, In that's total. exactly. Mm-hmm. So that's not very much. Mm-hmm. Many of us bleed much more than that. And I notice that here because so many of my friends are vegan and vegetarian. So they've got very low iron. If you've got low iron, you're going to bleed more. Mm. It's really ironic because by bleeding more, of course, then you also deplete your iron stores. Mm-hmm. Right, but um, So just to use a rough uh, measure, like a moon cup will hold between, say, 20 and 30 milliliters, depending what size it is. So you're looking at sort of like, you know, three to four moon cups in an entire mm-hmm. period. Mm-hmm. Um a tampon like a super tampon holds ten milliliters, a regular tampon or pad five milliliters. Mm-hmm. So I mean this is really, really important stuff. You need mm-hmm. to, I feel, be counting how much blood you're losing mm-hmm. because that can also
0: be depleting your whole system. Mm-hmm. I'd love to segue into some of the things that you just mentioned, like the moon cup and tampons and yeah. pads and t- I could imagine that in this work, you might have some insight and potentially opinions around those options. Absolutely. So I am a
1: big fan of moon cups and a big fan of period pads, primarily because it is a fantastic way to get to know your blood. It's not just like going into a tampon or a pad and then you're throwing it away, right? If you've got a moon cup, like you're really, like your blood is literally in your hands and then you can feel it. You can see whether there's clots there. You can see the color. You can just really, like, it can be astounding. And there's times I've been like, oh my goodness, this is not healthy blood. This is not okay. And sure enough, going to get my my other bloods checks and mean, yeah, I'm really deficient in something, right? So it's just excellent for that. And... Rather than turning it into a health hazard, which if you think about how many tampons which are also full of bleach and horrible chemicals um, so they 're also not good to be putting inside one of the most absorbent areas of our body, um, but also the plastic that 's in sanitary pads and so on and All of the, yeah, all of the period products that you would use in a lifetime and how much waste that will be. So you're turning what is literally the source of life, right? The most holy, precious blood that we have into an environmental hazard. And for me, that just feels so crazy. It's like flushing down fresh, you know, like there's so many crazy things we do. We flush down fresh water down the toilet. We cut down trees to make toilet paper. Like we do crazy stuff, but it's all normal. So this is also another step for some women, which is, oh, but my blood's gross. Oh, but that's disgusting. And it's like, oh, no, like just just give it a go. Mm-hmm. Like Use a, a, a moon cup and see how it is to then make an offering of that blood. Back to the earth. So you get your favorite tree or your favorite plant, and you pour that blood in there, you mix it with water, and you're nourishing, you're fertilizing the soil with your own blood. There's a saying that goes something along the lines of when women start returning their blood to the earth, men will stop having to kill for it. Because there's something so deeply ingrained within the human psyche about blood offerings. Mm -hmm. And I I really feel, Mm. you know, we don't have much Mm. evidence of this, but I just really feel that it was that source of Mm. uh, life, right? The holy blood, the menstrual blood that was offered. Um, Now, I realize that moon cups, you know, they don't suit everybody. So that's why period pants can also be a great option. And period pants, then you can just put the... Uh, the pants in a in a bowl afterwards and wash out the the blood and then take that blood and pour that into the earth there's also another saying that how does the earth know what you need mm-hmm. if she can't feel you so by putting your blood into the earth it's like oh okay that's mm-hmm. what's going on mm-hmm. it's, yeah. like, so it's like there is a, a real communication that's going on there mm-hmm. now i realize that these You know, period products I'm speaking about, the moon cup and period pants, they're not available worldwide, unfortunately. And we also know that there's a big issue with period poverty in many, many parts of the world. Mm -hmm. And I've read a ton of stories. I've listened to a ton of reports um, about young girls who can't go to school, for example, because they don't have any pads or Mm -hmm. tampons or that they've only been given one tissue a day. Uh, and so or they're getting sick because they're putting dirty newspaper or rags up themselves to to try Mm -hmm. and soak up the blood the blood so there needs to be a middle way and there needs to be a way that i think that we can make these products accessible to women all over the world Mm -hmm. and and it needs to be okay like not just Okay, there's a lack of a lack of sanitary products, so let's just give it whatever we have. Like, no, let's give, let's give moon cups, let's give period pads, mm-hmm. or let's at least make sure that they've got access to clean water so they can wash themselves, right? It brings up so many other issues that I think for many of us who live in quite privileged conditions, we can't perhaps imagine. Uh also in different cultures, uh like using a tampon or using a, a moon cup isn't going to be socially or culturally acceptable. Mm-hmm so recognizing that too again period pants can be great just reusable
0: pads can be great um okay so that was a long answer mm-hmm. to that oh, and it's so important it's it's some of the habits that snuck into human behavior that as you said we do a lot of things that when you wake up to it you're like wait a second mm-hmm. and our numbers mm-hmm. are growing on this planet mm-hmm. so to really raise awareness around that, um. I'd love to have a little snippet because we did mention it previously around the hormonal contraception and any women listening that are currently on it, have been on it in the past, or having their daughters on them or considering just to, to open up that conversation. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: take, I mean, I know there was a time and a place for hormonal contraceptives, and there still is in some in some cases. Hormonal contraceptives have done incredible things for women women's rights okay, and women's health. So back in the late 50s and early 60s when they were first invented, uh, they've helped women not have eight, 10, 12 children. They've helped women become financially independent. They've really even helped women be equal to men. Of course, now we have the next wave of feminism, which is saying, look, we're actually different.
0: <laughs> and now can
1: we honor those differences? The thing was that the pill and other you know, hormonal contraceptives, they were designed actually for men to take. And there were too many side effects. So men refused to take them. But also, it didn't include a bleed. So you could take the pill just like you can now take implants or um, injections that you can have every three months and not necessarily have to bleed. The bleed was put in to make the pill acceptable to both the Catholic Church and to women who quite rightly so might be like, well, don't I need to have a period? The thing is, when you're taking hormonal contraceptives, the bleed that you have is not a period it's a withdrawal bleed from not taking a very strong hormone every day. So you have completely suppressed your cycle. It's like saying, look, you don't need to sleep, or you don't need to eat, or hang on, you don't even need to breathe. That's really what it's like. Or saying, oh, but it's okay, you don't need a cycle unless you want to have children. Well, yeah, was that what would say to men? Oh, you don't need testosterone unless you want to be A father? Of course not. So I feel this is a huge, huge topic because so many educated women are taking the pill, thinking that it's good for them. And I just want to shake them and say, you need to ovulate. And the pill is stopping you from ovulating. And you need to ovulate because estrogen is so important for the health of your heart, for your brain, for your bones. And also progesterone is so important for your entire nervous system. And we don't get, it's not real hormones. These are hormone substitutes, artificial hormones. And we also don't know the full impact yet because it's really just the previous generation who might have spent an entire lifetime on hormonal contraceptives. So we don't know the full implications for a woman's brain, heart, bones, let alone on her spiritual, psychological connection to what we've just been talking about, to something far greater than, than itself. It's, and also what the, these hormonal contraceptives can do is they can shrink the ovaries. So it's also like they're drying up this part of our body that is so, uh, so important for in ways I think we, we can't even recognize, because we have the ability as women to channel life, and that doesn't necessarily mean in a human form. And that's why we can be more creative at different times of our cycle. Right? We're, we're, we're using this creative energy. So if we're just shutting this down, then we're really denying the world of the gifts of women. And I feel the, you know, the hormonal contraceptives are so outdated that we can do so much better. And we can also educate doctors because so many times, like you said, oh, you've got acne. Okay, go on the pill. You've got endometriosis. Okay, go on the pill. You've got PCS. Go on the pill. You've got irregular periods. Go on the pill. It's like, really? Mm -hmm. Can't we take the time to look at what's causing all this irregularity or all this pain Mm -hmm. as opposed to just suppressing it? Because then what happens when she comes off the pill? Oh, the acne comes back endometrium is still there, endometriosis is still there, mm-hmm. irregular periods are still there, there might even be worse now. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's not, it's not solving
0: yeah. solving it. Yeah, for the, for the ones of us that um, have been on it for stretches of, of time or who are currently on it and who want to come off it, do you have any suggestions to make that easier or how to balance out anything, any damage that might have been created? say so just come off and trust and be patient. Mm-hmm. But
1: patience is a thing.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: I mean they're said to be reversible, long lasting, but that they can be long lasting. Mm-hmm. So it can really take some time. Mm-hmm. And it also depends on many factors, but one is how young you were when you went mm-hmm. on. So recognizing that it can take five, six, seven, eight years for mm-hmm. a young woman to really mature, mm-hmm. for her reproductive system to really mature. Mm-hmm. So that means if she gets a period at thirteen and she goes on the pill at fourteen, she's only had her body's only had one year Mm -hmm. to start to mature. Mm -hmm. So she might need another six years when she comes off the pill for that process to continue.
0: Yeah, that's almost what it felt like when I came off in my mid twenties. It it took about two years. Just for anybody who's out there who's like wanting to come off and nervous about it, it does take can take some time. But also, it felt like I. I hadn't really completed my puberty, so there was something like needing to complete itself. Um, so, yeah, that, mm-hmm. that does really
1: And it's not just on the physical level, right? Mm-hmm. It's also no, like totally. who we are as mm-hmm. women. Yeah. And so if we're stealing this from women, then they're, they're going to live their life being someone, like one version of mm-hmm. themselves, mm-hmm. as opposed to this wonderful mosaic
0: of what yeah. comes out through the journey of our our menstrual cycle. Yeah. I know we're diving super deep, and we've been oh, covering so much beauty. There's one theme that I'd love for us to explore a little bit more, which is the phase of menopause, and it's kind of a topic that I feel has been silenced by the media, by a general, by the general public, really. And so, could you speak a bit to what what is the phase of menopause? What changes? for for women, but also how can we undo some of the silencing that's happened and how can we um, almost like reclaim, just like we were speaking about the shame around menstruation itself, how can we reclaim the, the worth and the contribution of women who are in that phase? Thank you for bringing this question in. It's so
1: important. So we're doing it right now. We're talking about it. I feel that's possibly the most important thing we can do. It's bringing it into everyday conversation with men, with children, with women who might have gone through menopause and never had a chance to talk about it. It's recognizing that it's come from a combination of living in a patriarchal and an ageist culture. A big shift for me happened when I read Umuddin's Mortudi's fabulous book, Yoni Shakti, as uh, she spoke about menopause as the crowning of a woman's wisdom. And I feel if women were to see it as a way of becoming who they were born to become, mm-hmm. as if this initiation into the into the wisdom years, then perhaps they would also appreciate it differently. And yet often we're not taught that. And instead, like you said, it's just something that is silenced. So much so that I have many friends who are yoga teachers or they're really connected with their body who just think that menopause is something that might happen when they're 70. Like it's something that just happens way down the road. As to realize that just like the menstrual cycle itself, we have a rhythm in our life. Right? We have going from the winter all the way up into the summer and then back down again. And to honor this is so important. To honor these cycles is so important for our own mental health. Because if we're resisting it, then we're going to be suffering. And that's why I feel the beauty, so called beauty industry, is making so much money off women's fear of aging. Mm-hmm which comes because society is telling them they're no longer going to be valuable. Mm-hmm. And it's just so it goes around in this vicious, vicious circle. So what happens is that just like we have our first puberty, we also have, as I mentioned before, our second puberty, which can take roughly around 10 years. So menopause is when you've stopped having a period for at least one year. And the a normal age for menopause is anywhere from 45 up. You can have a premature menopause that happens prior to 45, but also you can have surgical menopause, which is when you've had to have the ovaries removed for some reason and or the the uterus. So think about it. 10 years prior to, say, 45 is 35. Mm-hmm. So hormones can shift from around 35 years old. And what happens is it's a thankfully a beautifully slow process for many women that if they're charting their cycle, they will start to pick up. And in the beginning, so in the first two to five years, which is very early perimenopause, you can still have regular periods, but with signs of change. Mm -hmm. So by that it could mean maybe your premenstruum is a little bit harder. Maybe you've got more breast tenderness. Maybe your flow is a little bit heavier. Uh, so it's, it's, if you weren't chatting, if you weren't paying attention, you might not notice because you're still having a regular cycle. Right? And then you have the, like the menopause transition, which is roughly three years. And this is when your cycle starts to get irregular. And it can vary by more than eight days. So remember before I said like Mm -hmm. an eight day variation was was healthy. Well, this is when we can start to have more of a variation. Now, what's happening here is that you've got much more fluctuations in hormones, especially estrogen is going up and down. And therefore, it's going to be making much more effects on your body. Um, And also then Progesterone starts to get lower too, and that's when maybe it's harder to stay calm, for mm-hmm. example. So that sort of the uh, fire or rage that's associated with menopause, uh, the hot flushes, for example, that are um, also a sign of, of well of going into menopause. And then late perimenopause would be when you skip a period, so that's when you're having a cycle of say sixty days, and of course then you can start again and it can be it's like this it can just be confusing it can just be erratic and then final menstruation um, like the final bleed when you've finally gone through menopause as I said it's when you've been at least 12 months without having a period what's fascinating about this is that humans are the only land mammals that go through Menopause, the others are all whales in the ocean. And the whales, what they do when they go through menopause is they become leaders of their Mm pods. As we know from some indigenous cultures here, women who've gone through menopause are then the women who are able to be the real medicine women. Mm -hmm. They're the ones who are fully qualified. Mm -hmm. And the way that I see it is that we've done the work month after month after month of refining, aligning, like honing in our gifts, so we no longer need it, mm-hmm. we've birthed ourself, mm-hmm. we've birthed our communities, and now we're ready to be there, supporting, guiding, leading mm-hmm. but it's not it's not guaranteed that that, that progression will happen right if we If we suppressed our cycle, if we're not aware of our cycle, if we've got shame about our cycle, if we haven't been making these changes in our life. Mm-hmm. If we arrive at the doors of perimenopause exhausted and stressed, then perhaps the transition won't be as as graceful or as easy as it could be. Mm-hmm. But I, I feel personally a big, big part of it is stigma and shame. Mm-hmm. So opening up conversations about that and really looking at why we as a culture are so terrified of aging. Why is that? Why are we so obsessed with with productivity and fertility? You know, when we already have such a huge population as well. You now, like what else can we birth? What else is 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 needed? Like different ways of, of seeing and visioning. Mm-hmm. And also recognizing for women who are in perimenopause and perhaps having a, a harder time, that it will pass. So it's not that you get stuck there, but you can and you will come out of the other side. And there's also things that you can do to support yourself. One of them I've just mentioned is taking rest. It's getting rid of stresses in your life. Another one is reducing dairy, reducing sugar, anything that's potentially inflammatory or triggering a histamine response that would then make um, these hormonal fluctuations more magnified. And just putting aside time, Time for yourself to really uh, recalibrate because that's what's happening. Something needs to be adjusted. Mm -hmm. Also, for some women, they need to make adjustments to their diet and bring in more protein, maybe more amino acids through the protein. And perhaps for some women, the option is bioidentical hormones. I know that is, you know, for some women, that transition can be really tough Mm -hmm. because the brain has to make adaptations and. And that can have a big, yeah, a big impact on women who perhaps are already struggling.
0: Mm. Wow! Thank you. You are such a wealth of wisdom, and we're, we're gonna we're gonna close it um, pretty soon. And I would love for you to share with our listeners because I know, even though there has been so much information in this conversation. There is so much more that you share, and it is all incredibly important. So, can you tell us a little bit about your offerings, your courses, and the different ways people can find you?
1: Yes, I teach here in Bali in and I at the Yoga Barn, and I teach in-person courses for women, and I also have a ton of online courses for women. And the premise of my course, courses are to educate women about the menstrual cycle, about the life stages, how this relates to yoga, how they can adapt a daily practice to support their menstrual cycle and their life stages. And I al- always take women on a deep journey into themselves and into the unknown to bring back the treasures. So it's always, it's, they're always beautiful and powerful courses. I have one specific course online, actually, that's called Moon Month. And there's a different practice for every day of your cycle. And it's designed for women to actually use their own initiative and select what practice feels right for them that day. And each practice comes with an introduction. So as they go through the month, they'll actually learn a huge amount about the menstrual cycle and how that relates to them and their life. And I also have of course, specifically for women on stress and anxiety, because women respond differently to stress and anxiety. But also, it affects our menstrual cycle. It affects, as we've been looking at, uh, going through perimenopause and and also, like vice versa. Right, mm-hmm. there are times in our cycle that we just have less capacity, such as perhaps our premenstruum or our bleed time, and therefore these are sort of times that we we really need to look for how we can support ourselves through these Mm -hmm. so yeah it would be as always it's my honor and pleasure to share this work with Mm -hmm. with women and I feel
0: so passionate about it Mm -hmm. and it shines through (laughs) everything you do I have to say for me personally the the moon month course has been incredibly helpful especially in the quieter times right towards autumn and winter when you know, and when I feel high energy during my ovulation, I'm like, oh, I'll go to hot pilates or I'll go out and for a run or whatever. But it's those quieter times where I'm like, well, I'll just skip it and I won't do anything. And so to still get on the mat but have this gentle, nourishing guidance has been really powerful. to to be able to hand it over when maybe my self-initiative is a little lower. So um, I just love, love, love what you do. And we also are cooking up uh, an offering that we'll be sharing on Ananda, which will be a, a small version of a workshop with Bex. And stay tuned on how to register for it. It will be a free offering. So sign up for a newsletter so that you can... Hang out with Bex more. We're also going to put all of the links where people can find you into the show notes, as well as the names of the authors and the books that Bex mentioned throughout it because there is so much wisdom there. Yeah. Thank you so much. Such an honor. Thank you so much. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Thank you for joining us for Sensitive Matters. If you haven't had a chance yet, please subscribe on Spotify, Google Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast from. And if you have a chance, please rate and review if you're listening via Apple Podcast, as it really helps more people discover the show to listen to these incredible conversations. This podcast is brought to you from Bali and made possible by my ethical jewelry company, Ananda Soul. You can check out our website and all of our ethically handmade jewelry at anandasoul.com. You'll also receive a $15 gift card on your first purchase when you subscribe to our newsletter, so make sure not to miss out on that as well. Thank you again for joining us, and we look forward to sharing more of Sensitive Matters with you.